You know, uh, it just don't happen because you want it to happen. Uh, it takes work. It takes work. Change in our lives take work. And reason a lot of people never change because they don't want to work at it. It's easier to keep doing what you're doing than to change. Than to change. And the other thing about change, it can be fearful. And sometimes with people, to change is fear because you're going to leave the known for the unknown. Now, I know my one word up there, R, is the possession R rather than the A-R-E. But I get to preaching before I get to writing. And then when I get to writing, I get to doing faster than what I need to be. So... But the thing is, are you really willing to work at it? Are you willing to work at it? Because if you're not willing to work at it, you're right. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If you're not willing to work at change, if you're not willing to work at improving yourself, if you're not willing to take a step up higher, it's not going to happen. You can always talk about it, but it's never happening. Because the reality is, to modify your life, to rewrite your life, to rework your life, it's going to take work. It takes work. The easiest thing to do is to stay where you are. The hardest thing to do is to get up and start moving in a positive direction. Remember the prodigal son in Luke 15 when he found himself with the pigs? The easiest thing for him to do was to stay and swallow where he was at. Just lay on down there, fall on down there, and go, Woe with me, I got all this bad luck and all this misery. But finally he gave thought, I can go home. And he knew there was going to be a change in his life if he went where? Sometimes we don't want to go back home because that means a what? A change. You have to want to work at it. Are you willing to work at it? In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Lord talks about that you are his workmanship. The Greek word there means to be a product. Things that is made or are being made. And God is working on you because he is reworking your life. Put that with 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. Old things are passing away. Beholding, all things are becoming new. Why? Because now you are a product in God's hands who is reworking your life. You have to see that. God didn't save you to leave you where you are. God doesn't save us to leave us where we are. We may want to stay where we are. And God never forces us to do what we don't want to do. He will not make us. But if you're willing to take the bruises and the lumps, and you're willing to study, and you're willing to put the late hours in, and you're willing to pray, and you're willing to make the move, you'll be surprised where God will take you. And what you will look like when God's done with you. And he says, boy, that you're a product. A thing that is made or being made. The high word he used of works of God as a creator is that, yes, he's creating you for works as God created. That's what he's creating you. And that word prion is used in the area that God creates a new creation that is being made. Go with me to Titus 2, verse 3, and following. Titus 2. 
it's going to open our eyes to a few things. Men and women, this would apply to both in a sense. One of the things that's happening to our younger generation is because our older generation is not willing to teach. We talk about how bad our young generation is, but our young generation basically follows us. Amen. We can talk about what we want to do, but then how often do we do it? We can see all the needs out here, but when do we start getting to work and meeting the needs? We can talk about the problems, but when do we begin to solve the problems? So look what it says there in 2.3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Now, Boy, the older women have a job to do what? Teach. Teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train who? Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with the men. But we have to be taught first in order to do what? teach. And there has to be a spirit of teaching and a spirit of correcting. One has to want to teach. The other one has to want to learn. You can't force somebody to learn. And he goes on and he says, then they can train their younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will willingly malign the word of God. That these things are taught how to be a husband, how to be a wife, how to be a woman, how to be a man. They're taught. They're taught. They're taught. Hey. And while you're being taught, God is doing the shaping then. But God, get, God, God has to get you into his classroom. See? He has to get you into his classroom. Over in Revelation 2.20, he talks about, you allowed this spirit of Jezebel to prophesy and to teach. Now go back and study about Jezebel. You'll see what was being then taught. See? you'll see what kind of character a Jezebel was that is being introduced to our young ladies today and so forth. You may want to look at her husband, Ahab, and you'll see what kind of men we have. And the issue is we need to look. Over in Philippians 1.6, he says, God who has begun a good work in you, that, that word work there is to toil, labor, to labor with. How many of you really understand God is laboring with you? Yeah. Some days when God is done with you, I imagine God is saying, Whoo, I'm glad the day over. Yeah. Because He has toiled with you. He has worked with you. But understand this. You are His business. You are His business. He bought you with a price, with the precious blood of His Son. He redeemed you. You are His business. And He applied Himself to working in your life. Because He knows you cannot bring about change. You cannot rewrite your life. You can't rework your life. You can't do anything positive without Him. And he simply says, the word therefore in Philippians 1, 6, work, is to toil, it's an occupation. That's God's occupation to be in our lives. To be busy with us. To work in us. To mold us, to shape us. It's his business 
That's God's business. Your business is God's business. As bad as it may be, it's his business. It's his business to try to correct your business. It's his business trying to bring you out of bankruptcy. It's his business trying to get your bankrupt, immoral life where it should be. It's God's business to make you shine. It's God's business to make you into a royal priest. It's God's business to cause you to be able to stand on a pedestal. It's God's business to have you taken another step higher and another step higher and another step higher. When you find good parents, they're always pushing their children to do another step. Do another step. Do another step. And sometimes the kids will say, Hey, I'm satisfied. Why don't you be satisfied? No, the parents going to say, let's do another one. Let's do something else. Let's keep moving up. Let's keep looking forward. And that's God. I'm his child. I'm his business. He's all up in my business. And then in Colossians 3.23, the word work there is to make or to construct, to form or to fashion. What I'm trying to get you to see is this here. In order to bring about change in us, God says it's going to be work. It's going to take some work. And just think if God was a lazy type God, where would we be? Suppose God was a God that quit on the job. You don't want to act right. You want to do your own thing. And he takes off. Suppose God only showed up for work for only a half a day. Where would your life be? But God is there 24-7. That's why he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you because I'm always working on you, even in the difficulties of times. I'm right there. Now, he says, we got to do this thing together. You got to work with me and I got to work with you. We got to work together. And that's where God's trying to get us to a point that we're working together because he'll never force me to do anything. But he'll sure teach me how to do everything. And he'll guide me. And he says, boy, the word there at work is to do, to act rightly, to do well, to carry out, to execute. You know what God wants you to be able to do in life? To execute everything well. To do it to the best of your knowledge. Oh, it's okay if somebody outshine you. It's okay if somebody can do it better. But you need to be able to say in yourself, I did my best. I did my best. And God knows when you're doing your best. God knows when you're executing rightly. God knows when you're really working at it. God knows that. And when you work at it, He's an ever-present helper. He comes alongside and he'll help you. I don't care what it is. If you really work at it to make a difference in your life, if you really work at being like Christ, he'll come alongside of you. And he'll do it. He'll work with you. Because the word there in Colossians when it comes to work is to make, to construct. God is constructing. God is building God's forming and fashioning to for what purpose? That you might do what is right. To do well, to carry out, to execute. And then the final word down below work is to labor, to work for, to earn by working, to acquire. You earn your modification. You earn your changes in your life. You earn because you worked for it. You work to change. You work to modify. You work to have your life where it's at. You're working hard that you might really glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. But you're working at it. You're working at it. Now, if you don't want to change, you won't. You won't. If you don't want to change, you won't. And God won't make you change. 
He's not going to do one thing to force you to do what you don't want to do. It's just going to come a day that you're going to wish that you would have. That's all. Because he's already set in place this simple little rule. You'll weep what you. Yeah. So when you talk about how bad you have it, remember who caused it to be bad. When you talk about how hard it is, remember who caused it to be hard. When you talk about this miserable life of mine, remember who caused it to be miserable. When you talk about I don't have nothing, remember who caused who to have nothing. Don't blame it on somebody else. You have nothing because you do nothing. You have nothing because you plan for nothing. You have nothing because you save nothing. See, you're the one who got to produce. And God says, I'll help you if you're willing. My aunt taught me one thing. And she used to say, out of every dollar, put a dime up. Out of every dollar, put a dime up. Amen. And she taught me to work. Because if you were at her home, you were going to be out in that garden. Sometimes I used to wonder, why we got three or four gardens? Then wintertime come, I can go down to the basement, open up a canning jar, because they did all that canning. How, how many of you have ever canned? That is some tedious, hard work. You sweat. That kitchen be cooking. With all that heat in it. And them days, no air condition. And you had to wash all them jars. Then you had to fill them jars. Put them lids on them jars. Put them in the little jar thing. You had to wait till you hear the jar go pop. <laughs> then you knew it was sealed. But it was work. Man, when freezers came along, everybody jumped for joy. You put it in a plastic bag and shove it in there. But the thing is... We want things without work. We want to gain without having to do anything. We are a society that says today, give me, give me, give me, give me. And people will constantly be asking. And they don't know how to even say thank you. But they know how to say give me. If you don't want to change, you won't. Why? You don't want to work at it. Because it takes work. To transform something takes work. To change something around takes work. You have to believe it's possible for you to change. How many of you you really believe that? See, some of us understand the change because... As we go through different seasons of life, we change. But young men sometimes don't realize they are changing. Now, they're changing for the positive or they're changing for the negative. Because at some point, they are no longer going to be kids. They're going to be men who are who? Responsible for who? Themselves. And sometimes young men and women don't recognize that change is right around the corner. That mom and daddy no longer got to feed you. Mom and dad no longer got to clothe you. Mom and dad no longer have to house you. Mom and dad no no longer have to give you a couple of dollars. You are now officially grown. Gus used to tell me, I'm going to be home till I'm 30. No, you're not, boy. I don't know where you'll be, but you won't be here. The whole process boils down to you got to believe in yourself that you can change. Let me share something with you. God does. Or he wouldn't have instituted the ability for you to change. He believed you can. You have to want to. You have to tell who. You got to tell yourself, I'm going to change this. I'm changing this thing. I'm changing this part of my life. 
I'm going to do different in this area of my life. You have to tell yourself that. And then start to take action with it. But you have to tell yourself that. People choose to make their struggles and their problems the reason they cannot change. Oh, poor me. We, we look at our problems, we look at our struggle, and we say, boy, I can't change. It's hopeless. I can't do that. I can't do that. Yes, you can. One of the first things that when you find yourself in that hopeless situation, what God is trying to do also is to humble you. Because God will take you down low that you humble under authority or under those that are trying to help you. you got to humble yourself to allow somebody to show you how to get where you want to be. If you're out driving and you're lost, how many times do you say to yourself, I'm going to stop and ask somebody for direction before you do it? Because what you don't want to do, you don't really don't want to stop and ask anybody, hey, can you tell me how? Because you out here looking for it, everybody in the other mind is saying, you ought to know where you're going if you're going. But now you've got to stop and ask for direction. It's a humbling experience to stop and ask somebody, can you tell me how to get, can you show me how to get, can you teach me how to do Can you help me in this area? It's a humbling experience. And God brings us to that point of humbleness because humbleness is the area that you discover brokenness. Humbleness is where you are able to experience brokenness. And God wants to humble us. Now, Our problems and our struggles, we need to see them as opportunity. You need to see them as opportunity. You need to see that. God, we're going to work through this. God, I don't know what you're doing, going to do through this, but you're going to do something great in this. You need to move to a point to understand you're at this roadblock and God is causing you now to pay attention to him. And now it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to listen to God direct you through the storm, through the problem, through the situation. And you, you need to understand, God brings those trials into your life to change you. He brings those trials into our lives. And it allows an opportunity to adjust our lives, to rework our lives. Problems cause us to do that. We have to change. The whole thing, boy, with this knee, the doctor told me, I'll see you in a few more years for the knee replacement. And in my mind, I'm saying, nope, because I'm not falling out no more trees. (laughs) I'm not lifting too many things that are heavy anymore. I'm changing me in order that I can preserve these needs as long as I can. There's things that you can do to help preserve yourself, but you have to be willing to do them. No. After my cancer and so forth, Dr. Remus, Remus, she changed my whole life by redoing my schedule, redoing my office at home, less time, Less board meetings, less this kind of meeting, less being involved in this group, that group. Because she said, you need to get the stress off. If you're going to stay in this, we need to get the stress off of you. So I dropped this board, I dropped national board, I dropped district board, I dropped child guidance. I, I just started dropping. Because the stress had to go. I had to revamp my life. I had to rework my life. And God brings us to certain areas where you've got to rework your life. Understand this. What you are doing is not working. If it's not working, why not revamp it? If it's not getting you where you want to be, rework it. That's the good thing about a plan. It's not concrete. You can go back and make changes. You can adjust it. 
Because that plan acts as a guide to help you get from point A to point B. But if it's not getting you to point B, scrap that plan and come up with another one. You go to prayer and you begin to seek God and let Him work. For every problem, God has a solution. How many of you really believe that? Yeah. There's not a problem that exists that God does not have a solution. And God can lead you through it. And God can bring you out victorious. There's not a problem that's too big for God to handle. And sometimes he brings those problems to bring us to our knees that we might talk with him. And there's no struggle that doesn't have an end. For the scripture says this too shall end. There's no struggle, there's no fight that you're in that will not come to an end. You know one day you will not have to fight with Satan? (laughs) You know there's a day that you will not have to fight with temptation no more? It's all going to come to an end that when we're with him, we're not tempted any longer. We're not worried about Satan any longer. We're not worried about deception any longer. We're not worried about a stumbling block any longer. We're not worried about Satan doing anything. We know where Satan's at. My struggles will end. For every problem, God has a solution. In every struggle, God has an end. Now, let's look at a few things. Because in Romans twelve eleven, he says, don't be slothful. Don't be lazy. And that's the main thing that he's pointing out. A lot of times why we don't change is because of our laziness. It's because we don't want to work. And, and our house can be falling down. Everything can be going into ruins. But we don't want to do anything about it. And he says, don't be slowful in business. Hopefully your life is like a business. You are an enterprise in and of yourself. You are a company in and of yourself. If you're not the CEO of your life, who is? If you're not the one who is in charge to a certain degree, who is? God has given you freedom. God desires you to make the right choices for his temple. You need to understand that. Go to Proverbs 18.9. Proverbs 18.9. And look what he says. One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys or one who brings destruction. One who is slack in his work only brings about destruction or destroy things. One who is lacking in his work destroys a family. One who is lacking in his work can destroy a company. A lot of companies go out of business because the workers are what? Yeah. A lot of small companies cannot afford to have a lot of lazy folks employed. They need production. And if your life is going to change, and if your life is going to grow, your life needs production in it. It needs to be producing divine things in it. It needs to be producing those holy things. It needs to be producing those righteous ways. It needs to be producing that which is of God. Proverbs 24, just a couple pages over, 30 through 34. Proverbs 24. Start with me in verse 30. Look what he says. I went past the field of the slugger, or the lazy person, the person who does nothing. He says, boy, past the vineyard of the man who lacks what? Judgment. Not only is he lazy, he also lacks what? Good, sound judgment. Look what's happening. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. 
Now God gave him a vineyard. But what's in it now? See, some people, you can put them in a real nice house, real nice grass, everything real nice, come back six months later, and you wonder. Weeds all in the yard, shutters falling off the house. Windows hadn't been washed, hadn't been touched. Don't dare step into the house. You wonder what happened to the carpet. And oftentimes, when we see destruction in one area, it'll also be in a person's life. If you don't discipline yourself in other areas to take care of life, you'll find other areas that are undisciplined and the ruins that take place. Because it all takes a discipline. And it takes work. It takes work to keep up a house. It takes work to keep up a yard. It takes work. And he says, boy, there's all kind of thorns out there in that person's life. There's all kind of weeds in that person's life. Because they don't fertilize their life. They don't pull the weeds or the sin out of their life. They just let them grow and grow. And he goes on and he says, I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. My hands, they don't get dirty. My hands don't get blisters. My hands don't know what a hammer is. My hands don't know what a shovel is. My hand don't know what a rake is. My hand don't know what it is to pull rubber. My hands don't know what it is to really labor. He says, I applied my heart to what I observed and learned, a lesson, what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, and a little folding of the hands, a rest. And poverty, look what happens. Poverty. Poverty because you're always what? Sleeping. Poverty because you're always needing what? Yes. Poverty. Why? Because you always got your hands. Yeah. And poverty will come on you like a bandit. Like a bandit. You allowed it to happen. You allowed it to happen. Ecclesiastes 10:18. Just book over. Because see, change again. It takes work. It takes work. You have to want to work at it. 10.18 If a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. He's not one who's willing to work at it. He's not one to really go at it and recognize, Hey, my house is falling apart. i got to do something. My life is falling apart. i got to do something. My family's falling apart. i got to do something. Where do we begin? Where do we start? First area where we have to start is just repent. The repentance says this here. Lord, I've been doing this thing my way. Correct me. Correct me. Remember, repentance is to turn... But understand, a lot of people can't turn because they are not corrected. And the only thing they know how to do is what they've been doing. That's where they feel safe at. Repentance is because somebody is correcting. Someone is saying what you're doing is wrong. And until you know that it's wrong, you won't turn. 
you won't turn. And you won't know what is wrong until you step out and start doing something that is right. Repent. And then you want to come to this point. Ask God for a spirit to accept correction. Because none of us want to be corrected. As the scripture says in Proverbs, we all see ourselves right in whose eyesight? Yeah. Man, I put my pants on just like you. Man, what, why do you think you're a better man than me? I mean, we come up with all kinds of little excuses. No, the issue is this here. I need a spirit of correction if I'm going to make progress. Because it's very clear you're not making progress doing what you're doing. And what makes it very clear and even more clear, you don't know how to do the right thing in order to make the progress. And then it's the pride and the hardness of heart that says, I'll do it my way, even though I fail. I'll do it my way. The second thing is to believe God wants to add to your life. How many of you really can understand that? That God really wants to add to your life. I don't care how old you are. And we're going to see this in scripture in a moment. God still wants to give you. God still wants to bless you. God still wants to add to your life. In every season of your life, God wants to add to it. God wants to do an amazing thing in your life. Oftentimes with us, and this is a big, big problem we're going to talk about a little bit further down too, is that we're so worried about what God's going to take rather than being worried about, God, what are you giving? Being ready to receive from God. We're so worried about what God's going to take from us. And understand this, God's going to give far more than what he takes. Thirdly, it's not about stop. It's about starting. Oftentimes we're trying to have people stop doing the bad thing. It's not so much them stop doing the wrong thing or the bad thing. It's about them starting doing the right thing. Because if they start doing the right thing, the bad thing will just drop. But they got to taste it. They got to get comfortable with the right thing. They don't know how to do the right thing. So the only thing they lapse back to is the wrong thing. And until you get comfortable doing the right thing, you continue to do the wrong thing. But once you find that you're comfortable doing the right thing, and you find out the blessings from doing what is right, and you find out how easy it is to do right, you let go of the bad. Nobody has to take it from you. People will let it go. Because they get comfortable doing the right thing. Lord just gave me an illustration. I don't know if it's going to work with y'all, but it's going to work with me. After you slept on your sheets for a week or so, them sheets begin to feel what? They get a little... You know, but when you put some fresh sheets on there and you get into the bed in between those sheets, what does it feel like? (laughs) Does it make a difference? It makes a world of a difference just changing the sheets. And that's the difference between doing what's right and doing what's wrong. You can feel it, you know it, and you even get a better night's sleep. You even rest better because you're doing what's right. But you've got to get comfortable with it. You've got to get comfortable with it. Then you want to come to a point to just start loving yourself. A lot of people today don't love themselves. They don't love themselves. They look at all their woes, they look at all their problems, they look at everything else, and they think that they're bad. They don't think they're worthy to having anything more. They don't think that they're worthy of success. They don't think they're worthy to have more. They they don't understand 
that God wants them to live an abundant life. But they can't get the abundant life without the change process going on. And God wants you to understand. He wants you to love yourself. Why? He gave you life. He gave you life. He don't want you going through life being miserable. He don't want you going through life beating yourself up. He don't want you going through the life suffering. He wants you to love yourself and treat yourself well. That you might work for him. And he says, start loving yourself. And this is it. Not with a fleshly love, but with a godly love. With a godly love. And you need to ask God, God, give me a love for myself as you love me. Lord, let me love me as you love me. I'm your temple, Lord. I want to clean it out because, Lord, I want you, when you come in, I want you to be pleased with what you see in this temple, in this life. And then come to a point, start wanting to please God. I skipped five, but start talking with God. I'm not talking about just praying in the morning and praying at night. As you go through the day, you're constantly communicating with God about everything. You're talking with God. You're like a real person. Some people may think you're crazy. Some people may think you're off. That's okay. Just join the rest of us out here that's talking to ourselves as we go down the street. But you're talking to the most important person. Teach yourself to talk to God. Not just in a five-minute prayer in the morning and a five-minute prayer at night, but all day long you're communicating with God. You have to teach yourself to do that. And when you teach yourself to do that, you'll say, God, uh, which direction you want me to go? God, clear the road here. God, do this. I lost my uh, wrenches, my pipe wrenches, and I was praying all day. Lord, where's them pipe wrenches? Lord, you got your eyes on them. Lord, you see them, and I can't see them. Lord, I need my pipe wrenches. Well, I didn't find them. I just had to go buy two more, but now they're going to show up. <laughs> but the whole thing is this here. I'm talking with him. I'm asking him about different things. I'm asking him to help me through it. I'm asking him to guide me here and there. I'm asking him to do. Because I understand what Paul says. This is not my life. This is his life. And then I want to start to please God over self and others. Sometimes we are so worried about what other people think about us. It's not about what other people think about us. It's what God thinks about us. Get him up there first. That's what God is seeing. See? That's what's important. When God looks at me, what does he really see? see? And even over myself. See, because this life is not about me. This is life is about the one I serve, my master. So I'm not really out to please myself. My first goal in life should be to please him. And everything I do. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for what purpose? For the glory of God. That you're out to please Him above all else. And then, start asking God for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. You want to ask for that. God, give me knowledge that I can do this job. Give me knowledge that I can do this thing. Give me knowledge. Then give me wisdom that I might apply the knowledge correctly. Because a lot of people have knowledge, but they don't have wisdom, so they don't know how to use their knowledge. Sometimes you'll look at a person, you say, boy, that person's smart. And then you look at them and you say, what are they doing? They don't have the wisdom to use the knowledge that they have. And the wisdom has to come from God. Knowledge often comes from God, but also man. But wisdom, godly wisdom, is what we need. We don't need fleshly wisdom. We need godly wisdom. 
In James 1 and 2, he says, Rejoice when these trials come. In the NIV, he says, Trials of many kinds. Now, now take a good look at that. It says, Trials of many kinds. So there's going to be different kinds. The King James says, Diverse temptation. Different kind. And in the RS, it says, Boy, various trials. What is God trying to say to us? You're going to constantly be going through different type of trials and testing as long as you live. For a man born of a woman will have problems and troubles all his... And God says, I have the solution. I have the solution. I have it. Just come. Now, catch this principle, and it is a principle, I do believe. God will give more than he will take. He will give more than what he will take. God has given more to me than what he's ever taken from me. God has provided far more than what he's ever taken. I could never have dreamed of living the life that I live today, or the life that I have lived. It's only been God. Don't worry about what God wants to take from you. Anticipate what God wants to give you. Because he wants to give you far more than what he's going to take. Go to Caleb here in Joshua 14. And what I want you to see is this here. Because of him being able to see and willing to change that he was able to stay obedient unto God because of the vision that became his. But the vision did not come to pass for another 45 years. But because he saw it, he desired it and wanted to go after it. A lot of times we won't see anything. We won't see change. And in seeing it, you eventually got to start saying, I'm going to change. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You got to start speaking it and saying it. If you don't speak it and say it, you won't do it. Now, you can see it and you can want it, but you can't gain it. When you see it, you got to start speaking it to yourself. And then you've got to go after it. When you start saying it to yourself, now you are convicted about what you're seeing. But if you don't say it, you're not convicted. If you're not convicted, then it's not of God, it's only of what? The flesh. But when you are now convicted, it's of God. And God is saying, if you begin to take the action, I'll be your helper in this and we will achieve it. So in Joshua, pick up with me in verse 7. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. God allowed him to see the land that Moses was going to promise to him. That God was going to promise him. He saw it. He didn't possess it right then, but he saw it. Elaine and I, before we ever got married, we used to talk about what we wanted our house to be like. We, we talked about how we were going to raise our children. We, we talked about certain rules and we talked about our relationship. Before we ever got married, and one of the things she always wanted in her home was a fireplace. What she always wanted in the home was a dining room. So whenever we looked for a house, we looked for a fireplace or a dining room. Now, we may have had to trade off every now and then. We have the dining room without the fireplace. But today she's living in a home that has her dining room and her fireplace. Because that's what we visioned before we ever got married. We visioned that we would raise our children together. And that we wanted them to be educated and go to school. 
Not that education is the top thing, but this is what we wanted for them, for they could compete in society. Those things we were willing then to sacrifice because that's what we've seen for our children. We, and then we were able to see them going to school. And I used to sit at the dinner table because we would talk about it. And you've heard me say it before. You can go to college or to Whitebridge. Your choice. Man. The whole process is they had to catch it too. They had to begin to see going to college was going to prosper them. Not us. It's going to prosper them. But they had to catch the vision of it. Then they had to own it. Once they owned it, then they went after it. But somebody had to help them see it. And here, God says, Joshua, one of the spies Moses sent over, go see the land I'm going to give to you. And he saw it. Not only did he see it, it became a conviction of his that God wanted him to have it. And it became his vision for 45 years. One day I'm going to possess this land. It became his vision. It became his desire. Because he knew this was God's will for his life. And that it would change his life. But in the meantime, where is he at also? 40 years out in the wilderness with the others. But he hung on to what he believed God has shown him. He held on to what Moses said to him. He didn't lose it. Understand this also about change. When God is changing your life and he allows you to see it, and you are convicted by it, it will keep you in obedience with God. Because you know only God can bring it to pass, not you. So when he goes on, he says, And I brought him back a report according to my what? My convictions to, to what I really saw and what I really felt. I brought back a report. Yeah, God wants us to take this land. I'm not worried about the giants. I'm not worried about the big city wall. I'm not worried about... God wants us to take this land. I've seen it. Let me share something with you. God wants you to see the change that can come in your life. But then you're the one who got to be convicted that it's from God. And then you're the one who got to get up and start doing something. Or it won't take place. Hey. Come on a little further because you're going to see, even in this old man's age, he said, let's get going. Why? Because he really believed it was from God. If there's one thing that older people can do in the church today that will be a blessing to the church, is to be able to say, God promised, God gave it, let's get up and let's do it. Boy, that's powerful. Coming from an older generation, that really says to a younger generation, I still believe my God. I have a vision of what my God has given. And I'm still going after it. And he says, boy, and I brought him back a report according to my conviction. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. However, I, however, followed the Lord. His brothers couldn't change his mind. He was convinced What God showed him is what God wanted to give him, no matter what his other brothers were saying. He was convinced, and therefore his mind was made up to follow God, to be obedient to God, to trust God to bring it to pass. And he goes on, he says, So on that day Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. He went all the way back, 40-something years now, from when Moses promised, and when Moses is speaking on God's behalf, and he's holding on to that dream, he's holding on to that promise, he's holding on to that conviction for 45 years. He's 85 years old now. 
Look what conviction will do if you are really convicted by God and you really have a vision of God. If you are a person who is able to see that God still wants to use you, look at the attitude of this individual. Now then, in verse 18, 16, let's get these eyes adjusted. In verse 10, now then, just as the Lord promised, who promised? Not Moses. He takes it back to the originator, God. Just as the Lord promised, He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time He said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the desert, so here I am, here am I today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. Oh boy, I need to be able to say that. I can still jump, I just don't jump as high. I still like to play basketball, I just don't do it. <laughs> I learned a lesson with the knees about it. But there's still a fire for the Lord. Do you still have a fire for the Lord? Do you still have a desire to serve God? Do you still have a desire to, God, use me, use me, Lord, use me. Look at this man, 85 years old. God, I'm ready to go. If you say go, I'm ready to go. Give me my cane. Give me my crutches. Put me in my wheelchair. Let's go. He's ready to go. At 85 years old. And he says, I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. Now... As I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. Still convicted that God was going to do what? Give it to him. That God's going to do this. That God's going to work. Save time real quick to close out. Go to Abraham. Abram. Go uh, to Genesis 13. Because here's something you have to be willing to do. If you don't do it. Nothing's going to change for you. You understand that Lot has already chosen the best part of the land. And Abraham, I don't know if he did this to keep peace with Lot or, or, or just being humble or whatever, but he, he simply says to Lot, you go ahead and you choose first. Lot could have come back and said, no, I followed you. You go ahead and choose first. Or you go ahead and take the best part of the land. No. Lot went on and chose what he thought was the prime land. The best land. Inside your Bible, I got it because I write in my Bible. I don't know if you do or not. But from verse 11, I put down flesh. Lot chose. The flesh can choose a lot of things. And God won't stop you from choosing. Have you taken it to prayer? Have you really talked it over with God? Are you looking for God to show you the way? And then as I come down, starting at verse 14, I just put a little alongside of it, God gave. Didn't choose, God gave. And when God gives, all you have to do is accept now let's read it a little bit. Let's see what God says to Abram that what he has to do. Because it seemed like after Abram had told Lot to choose, Abram's head kind of went down. And look what it says. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes! Lift up your eyes! Lift up your eyes! Why? If you don't lift your head up and you don't lift up your eyes and look to see what the Lord is going to do, you're going to miss it. you got to lift it up. And the scripture says, lift up your head, that your redemption is what? Drawing eyes. Lift up your eyes. See your rescue. Lift up your eyes. See the one who is leading you. Lift up your eyes. See what God is doing around you. Lift up your eyes. Recognize that Jehovah God is present. Lift up your eyes. And he says to Abraham, lift up your eyes. And then he says, look. 
The Lord said, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes, and where you are, look. Now, 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 look, this is important right here. Where you are, do what? You're going to see it from what? Yeah. You don't have to go over to so-and-so's house and look from theirs or look around and see what they got. Or you don't have to run over here and look over here. God wants you to see it in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your problem, in the midst of whatever you're going through. God wants you to lift up your eyes and see what the God Almighty is going to do. Right where you are, he says, look. He didn't tell him to go somewhere else and look. Right where you are, look. And he says to him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north, south, east, west. All the land that you see, I will give you and your offsprings for how long? Now, catch this. It's just amazing sometimes what the Holy Spirit does. And you can get excited about it. Remember what Abram said to Lot? Go ahead and do what? Look what God says to Abraham. Look to the north. Look on over there to the west. Look to the east. Look to the south. All the directions you looked, I'm going to give to who? Do you think Lot's land is in one of those areas? God says, I'm going to give it all to you. See, Lot thought he was getting something special. He didn't know he was going to be written from Abraham. Because God said, I'm going to give it all to you. Can you see that? See, the, the thing is, is this here. He waited on God to give it to him. See? But understand this. The only reason he received it, because he was willing to make a change some time ago. Look up right where you are and see what I'm going to do. Just look and see what I'm going to do. In your sickness, look up and see what I'm going to do. In your financial difficulty, look up and see what I'm going to do. In your struggle of trying to make the right decision and which way to go, look up and I'll lead you and guide you. Just follow me. Look up and see and understand this principle. If you can see it, then you've got to start saying it. If you start saying it, you begin to believe it and are convicted by it. If you're convicted by, by God, then you start taking actions to possess it. But remember who first showed it to you. God. God. And God wants you to change. He wants you to look up. He's asking you, don't worry about what I'm going to take from you. Be ready to just receive from me. Because I want to pour myself into your life. I want to give you more than you could ever handle. I want to bless you. I want your cup overflowing. I want your heart filled with the joy of my presence. I want you to be living with the confidence that I will order your steps and I will do for you. Because you are mine and you're my business. And I bought you with a price and I'm going to form you and shape you I'm going to work in you. Change is good.
when it's of God. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for the work that you're going to do in and through us. We are your people, no matter what age we are. You're still working in us. You're still calling us, oh God, to be your witness. And you're still calling us, oh God, to praise your holy name. Because everything that has breath ought to praise the Lord. And you are still working in us, Lord, because we are the clay and you are the potter. And you're still forming and shaping and fashioning us. And Lord, we want to shine for you. Do that work that is necessary to do in each and every one of us that you are glorified. Help us to see the changes we need to make. Help us to see the adjustments we need to make in life. Help us to recognize that, Lord, we need to rework some areas of our life. Help us to see that, Lord, we won't transform our lives, but you will. Oh, God, may you work, I pray. In each and every one of us. And even in the ones who are seniors. Lord, even like Caleb. The work isn't over. Lord, give us those things that you promised us in our youth. Give us those things yet, Lord, that we've been convicted by. Lord, may you work. For we have have grandchildren to work in. We have grandchildren to witness to. We have grandchildren who need to come to you. We have grandchildren and cousins and aunts that need to know about you. Make us your mouthpiece, Lord. Use us, Lord, for your glory. And we'll truly give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And if you're here today and you never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, it's